Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto trading and investing to NFTs, decentralized finance, and so much more. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell financial products. This podcast is sponsored by CoinFlex, the home of crypto yield. Whether you're passively managing money or taking an actively managed approach, you can earn and trade crypto easily on CoinFlex, which sees over $2 billion in daily trading volume. CoinFlex is committed to making crypto derivatives yield accessible to everyone, whether you are investing hundreds or thousands of dollars and more. With a newly launched automated market-making product called AMM+, you can earn yield on crypto by providing liquidity into the futures markets. The AMM Plus is 10 times more capital efficient than other automated market makers and offers multiple collateral types so that you can earn more with less. Interested in learning more about CoinFlex and trying out the AMM Plus? Head over to coinflex.com slash AMM to get started and let the market work for you. Dan Goodsberg, welcome to Crypto Unstacked. Thanks, Udo. Happy to be here with you guys. So for those who, who don't know Dan yet, Dan is the... Um, founder of HXRO, which he's going to tell all us about. And I'm actually a good fortune to meet Dan in person over a lot of drinks a few years ago in Hong Kong before the lockdown saga began. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, Dan. but uh. I do. I think there, it was that and CoinFlex had, a, had held uh, this pretty cool poker tournament as well when we were there. And uh, yeah, that was a great week for sure. It was actually the, uh, I think the first event we ever had in Hong Kong. We just got there like a month or so before. And uh, that poker tournament was sort of won by Arjun Balaji at Paradigm, I think, who I had no idea who he was at the time either. And it was, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, many years later I was like, wait, wait, that guy looks familiar. And and uh, yeah, it'd be good to have all of you back. But uh, so you have over twenty five years of kind of financial market experience as a trader uh, and you know in running trading businesses. And I wanted to just for the first part just kind of ask you your pre HXRO um, history and uh, figure out you know, how you got into, into trading in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So my background, as you had mentioned, has been largely in proprietary derivatives trading. I started my career on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade, actually as a kind of the lowest form of, of job that you could have down there in 1994. And in 1998, I started trading U.S. Treasury yield curve and I went off the floor pretty quickly, like once um, electronic trading started to spin up, I actually traded on the first the first electronic platform that the Chicago Board of Trade had, which was something called Project A, which was more of like an internal system. So you had to be a member in order to trade on it. So it ran um, overnight. So I was actually trading like during the, the uh, European trading hours, did that for a while. And then the NASDAQ really started to kind of boom and I moved into trading equities and I did that for a couple of years and then went back to trading interest rates. Uh, I, I went to the short end of the curve trading something called Euro dollars, did that for a number of years and then joined a trading firm that two of my friends had co-founded called DB Trading, um, eventually became a principal and chief operating officer there. That's eventually where I discovered crypto and the rest is history. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'll come back to DV in a second, which is very interesting. So at this point, in all of these trading from futures to equities, you're still talking about Delta One products here, right? And you still hadn't touched options. Is that correct? Or Yes. I toyed with them periodically. But yeah, li- all linear futures focused very heavily on most of my career was around trading other than when I was trading NASDAQ stocks, which was just outright um, punting and momentum trading. Most of my career had been focused in spreading. So trading duration, like trading one curve point against another curve point or against multiple curve points and kind of building an inventory of spreads and then trading around those. Oh, fantastic. So your DV experience was with friends, meaning they were also pit traders, kind of futures traders? or The two founders started their careers both on the electronic markets, but I had known them just through some you know, other friends and ended up joining their firm and um, actually went in and started building out trading desks. They were relatively small at the time and kind of just starting their growth phase. And we kind of went on a rampage over a few years and really expanded the firm. And I left there in late 2017 when crypto was going through its uh, major first, maybe it was actually probably its fourth major renaissance, but um, but uh, the first one that I was really a part of, and they have just done spectacular since then. It's been really cool to kind of check back in with the guys once in a while and really see the growth that they've undergone. Yeah, absolutely. They're a massive firm. And I forget what they, they love. They love uh, uh, one of the privacy coins. Is it Monero? Yeah, yeah the kings Monero. of Monero. Love, love Monero. Yeah, you then co-founded Gordian Block Capital after this point. Is that right? Yeah, so when I left the firm, I was trading crypto on my own. And a couple months later, my co-founder, Rob Levy, who was, uh, he was an options market maker for years and um, was actually running an agricultural options market making desk at DV. And um, he left DV. And then a few months later, a couple months later, joined me. And then, you know, we put our money together and we were like, let's get some friends and family involved and whatnot and raise a little bit of money and then started this fund that we were trading for you know for a while and while we were doing that i mean crypto was going through this massive bear market at the time and then that kind of led us into the first iteration of hero and um, obviously it's come a tremendously long way since then so so tell us about that what, what was the first iteration was it sort of a more futures platform or no it it actually was this gamified exotic options platform the backstory of it is we had spent so much time trading on you know things like bitmex for example and um, constantly seeing all this retail just get rinsed over and over just stopped out and it made you realize you know when you're in the derivatives space for so long you kind of become numb to the fact to actually like how kind of cold it is right it's there's no there's no real like ux around it and and we were sitting there watching this, this very salty bear market happen and watching all these people kind of just like lose their money over and over again we said look what if we can create something that's a little more simplistic and a little has a little bit more of like a um an emotional reward kind of like how a game does and it was totally out of our box like we're i mean we were traders and we really what we really wanted to do is build a d5 primitive like start building plumbing on chain for derivatives but at the time, there was really no blockchain that could support it the way that we wanted to do it. And so we went down this path and we we created this exotic option. It's really a digital option that had this paramutual. And so it was like all the assets were pooled together in each contract. And then the at expiration, the side that was in the money split the pool pro rata, which we actually also just received a patent on, believe it or not, which is um, was pretty amazing. So we created that and then we built a front end for it. We had no idea what we were doing and really 
what came out of it was this thing that looked like a glorified slot machine. But it had um, it had some kind of good UX to it. And we ended up kind of catching lightning in a bottle with it. And it was kind of what the market needed at the time. And I think people were kind of getting sick of being, you know, I think in crypto, a lot of retail, they kind of historically like looked at the market from one side. And you have to kind of go through these ups and downs. And especially with the volatility in crypto, it's kind of tough for people to ride out. And this gave a good alternative and it was kind of something that was still fun and it, you know, kind of created a lot of camaraderie and whatnot. And so we launched that and had some really quick growth out of it. And then it was enough for us to get funded and kind of sent us down the path. And then kind of the history from there is that in 2020, when Serum started, we had been involved with, with SBF who had made a couple of investments in us. And, and once Alameda launched Serum and we saw that there was a, on-chain order book that could exist on this blockchain called Solana, we said, look, now there's an op- we think there's an opportunity here to really start building out this, this decentralized derivatives plumbing. And that launched us down into Hero Network, which is what you know, has been the, our primary focus since then. Yeah, I'll come back to Solana and, and Serum and stuff because I do have some questions for you around, around that. But in terms of Hero, at this point, it's obviously, you know, there's I guess there's binary options and there's kind of paramutual betting and binary was sort of, you know, we tried a little bit around binary options, one minute bet, five minute bets, and that it was, you know, everyone's very suspicious of the house. And I guess with paramutual, it was, it's more sort of collaborative and more sort of trustworthy or more peer to peer. Yeah. Right. We all know the the stigma that binary options have. And you know, if you come from a, a professional trading background, you look at binaries and you say, well, you know, these things get used in OTC transactions all the time. It's really nothing wrong with them. And they're they really are a very simplified way of interacting with the market. But, you know, they have from a retail perspective, they spun into something highly toxic where you would have these brokerage houses that were kind of really fly by night brokerage houses that would use high pressure sales tactics and whatnot to get people into these trades. And then on top of it, the broker was on the other side of every transaction and the broker was also controlling the the market data. So it was set up for you to completely like just be fleeced of your money. It was pretty, pretty disgusting. And we did not want anything to do with that. So, you know, we just said, can we solve this in a different way where we can get some of the simplicity and basics of a digital or binary option but do it in a way that's peer-to-peer that you're never facing off against the broker counterparty. You're not facing off against against the house, so to speak. And paramutualizing it was the option. And when we started to test it, we were like, gosh, this really is pretty cool. And then on top of it, it gives this implied kind of sentiment to the market that you get to see in real time. Because when a, let's say it's even like on a one-day contract, and that contract opens and suddenly it's like super tilted towards it settling up on the day. You see that very clearly because of how a paramutual works, where the winning side takes the pool and splits it pro rata. There is this implied odds kind of where like, for example, if you had $8,000 on up and 2000 on down, there's 10000 total on the pool. The sentiment is all waiting towards up, which is going to end up getting a lower payoff because there's 10000 split amongst 8,000. But the side that is kind of the contrarian, that's only got 2,000, which is down. If the market does settle down, then that side is splitting 10,000. So that that like implied payoff is five for one. So you get this tr- very organic type of sentiment engine that you can follow out of it, which was a really cool aspect of it. And 
it worked really well. And uh, it kind of got us through the things that we're building now. And still today, we, you know, we still run these markets and um, now are expanding them into they're being used, you know, in other verticals, like, in, you know, by sports books and things like that, that uh, we're really starting to scale on as well. So it's pretty cool. Fantastic. And at this point, as you build out Hero, you then start going, I guess, more towards uh, more standard stuff like futures, options and and exotic options. So, I mean, would you like to, to kind of tell our listeners really around what, what you can trade on Hero? And Yeah. So, you know, really what we're focusing on with Hero Network is the primitive layer. We're building very heavily towards like the risk settlement margining engines that would sit underneath a market. And what we built was a protocol called Dexterity that really is a generalized derivatives protocol. So the framework of it is that it's it's really the accounting and payoff functions of some type of derivatives contract that you can give it the instructions to say, you know, this is the type of accounting, this is the type of payoff function. You plug in your risk engine to it, you plug in your data source to it, and it all works together to create the market that you want to create. So at the outset, the network is launching more traditional like term structured futures, swaps. And then as those launch, then we're going to be adding uh, the network is going to be adding things like European cash settlement options and then start expanding from there into more exotics as the community decides where the appetite is. Let's say as you get towards more exotic or non-standard, options who is making the markets in this so let's say i i would like to get you know this product who's making me the price there are traditional market makers in there and then in the options we have a protocol that's called theo that um is an amm that will act more or less as scaffolding in it and so the, the basis of theo is that it takes an ensemble of like in order to build a an options pricing curve you need a what we call like a zero preference volatility surface, so like a an interest rate free volatility surface. If you take that vol surface, like we take an ensemble of vol surfaces from several parties who who basically submit like this is what our interpretation of of the vol surface is right now, and then take that together, and then that gets plugged in via an oracle to the AMM, and then the AMM use that uses that as the basis for pricing. And then it actually builds a, a two-sided market down the options curve using that those calculations and then you know has a risk management strategy attached to it and it actually can manage its own inventory. So that's being used kind of as the scaffolding and then the traditional, more traditional kind of whitelisted market makers um, will participate in there for liquidity as well. Gotcha. That's very interesting. Thank you. Why did you guys decide to be a DeFi version rather than a CeFi version for this? There's a um, a few reasons. I, I think one of them more holistically is kind of in our long-term view of the overall disintermediation of systemic risk, which, you know, if you ever lived through 2008, which I, you know, I traded through and, and kind of lived through, you learned that even though you feel safe with large institutions, large banks, or what they call like uh CFEs or CFUs now, the risk of derivative markets as a whole, highly concentrated in a few small parties. Even when you have these large exchanges like the CME, it does prove out this kind of central point of failure. I think in 2008, the size of the derivatives markets, although most of it was in the OTC market, 
something on the order of like $700 trillion. And the reality is that so much of that was highly opaque. You know, we came within a, a millimeter of the actual permanent financial disaster. And so I think our take on it was that DeFi is a way to disintermediate the systemic risks. And we felt that building at the primitive layer a, a derivatives protocol that could act as the kind of engine for derivatives and doing it in an open access way that has many, many parties committing to it and participating in it and participating in the risks of it, you over time can build something that can globally disintermediate risks. So I'm not saying it's going to be the only way, but you know, just the time that we're in and you know, in the same way that CoinFlex thinks about certain ends of the market and how to kind of solve things there, we think that DeFi is going to be one lane, like kind of one vertical that will have its place in the fabric of global derivatives. Like you're always going to have this more traditional, let's take like even in the US, for example, like the FCM, DC, you know, DCM, DCO regulatory stack, and then kind of what FTX is doing now trying to, you know, somewhat remove the FCM layer and, and kind of blend the, the DCM, DCO concept. And then there's going to be DeFi. DeFi is going to be this kind of third leg to it. Um, you know, and am I saying that it's going to completely disrupt and dominate the market? I, I don't see that as being the case, um, you know, in the next few years. But um, we think that kind of at this transformative time right now, there's a there's a real chance to rethink how derivative markets can work and how you disintermediate global systemic risks and and how to kind of open access and make things more accessible and more transparent, both to regulators and to end users, um, which obviously building decentralized and building on a blockchain does, you kind of put all those things together. And there is a there is a real place for a DeFi derivatives primitive to exist in the marketplace. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree. There's definitely not one route here. And I think, you know, both sides are going to operate very, very well and do, do huge things. Um, how did you decide to build on on uh, Solana? Yes, this was is the next question, rather than uh, a number of other choices that might might have worked too. Really, Solana is the first blockchain that, like, we wanted to build on Ethereum early and we just couldn't. It didn't, didn't have throughput capabilities. It, the cost, you know, obviously is way too high to transact if you're going to do kind of inline, dynamic, real-time markets. And so... As I said before, we were involved with, you know, I've been involved with, with Sam Fried and with Alameda for quite a while now. And we saw firsthand uh, when they launched Serum, you know, when Serum was launched and they were able to run a central limit order book on chain. We said, gosh, you know, there's this blockchain actually has the throughput capabilities. It has the cost structure in terms of fees, you know, how, how um, kind of immaterial fees are there. And this makes a lot of sense for us to start down this path. And that's how we ended up on Solana. I think it's 2,000 transfers TPS and transfers per second and stuff, and, you know, super fast. There's obviously the questions around the centralized risk, which, you know, which is, you know, for derivatives exchanges, you know, I, I can see why the TPS and you'd give up centralization for, you know, give up, go towards more centralization for more certainty. But but when you have these outages and stuff on Solana, like we've had recently and repeatedly, how does that impact Hero when, presumably, they leverage positions on there, right? How do you handle sort of margin and and mark to market and everything else when if Solana's out for seven hours, say, as, as it was recently? It's definitely tricky. And you have to put some risk management strategies in place to cover for it when those types of things happen. But 
you know, look, like what I'll say is that there's, I hate using this because it's kind of a meme, but it's early, right? And, you know, and part of what we're doing here is building technologies kind of for the world moving forward. And I traded NASDAQ stocks starting in 99, 2000, 2001, and like early days of, of the internet. And we were just kind of getting to broadband at the time. And these types of things happened in centralized traditional markets with technology at that time, and you know, just in the same way. And I think that the these types of things are just, they're going to be a part of the evolution of building technology. And I think that, I guess, part of the risk that, that the project takes is what is something like Solana doing to solve those problems? And they are making some changes. It, it's pretty uh, pinpointed now what the problems have been in terms of why they were getting these like kind of halt issues and a lot of it coming from spamming and whatnot. And and they do have solutions for it now. So we'll see as it goes. Now, you know, obviously as we build and as the network scales, the need for more, you know, for faster transaction speeds and whatnot are going to continue to increase. And we'll see, you know, if we can continue to scale there as well. But I'm I have every reason to believe and I'm, you know, extremely confident. Part of why we got into Solana as well was a lot of the team that's there and even like Anatoly's background and the engineers that we've had the pleasure to work with there have all kind of have the right backgrounds and the right the right uh, level of competency, you know, to kind of see these things through and see that we continue to scale. So I completely agree that, you know, we're very, very early. I know it's just a meme, but it's also very true. And as CoinFlex and as a, as a CFI exchange, you know, we've got the I would say use the word pleasure, but we've got the use of AWS, which has allowed a bunch of businesses to spin up from nothing by paying a few thousand dollars a month on service, right? Compared to, let's say, 15 years ago, you had to invest two, three million dollars as a, in, on data servers and, and warehouses before you could even become an exchange. Now you can do it on 100K, which is just amazing. And equally for the DeFi side, I think the fact is, you know, mistakes are going to happen and you know, the industry just has to learn and iterate and move from it. And the same for stable coins. You know, we, we talk about FlexUSD. People always talk to us about Terra and uh, Justin Sun's new stable coin. These are all experimentations and not all of them will work and some will do better than others. And But I think, you know, it's it's just the the, the, the beauty of being in, in this time to be alive and be able to do these sort of things is just unprecedented in the in the 20, you know, the same same career path as you almost exactly, except it was always more options focused. It's the same period, you know, I was on the floor around 93, 94. And, you know, it's very limited what you could do and who could do it, right? Whereas now a guy with a hundred bucks could trade with someone with a million dollars in an in a on-chain or off-chain order book, which is uh, just mind-blowing and, and definitely the future. I think the future, it, like we're building a, a true primitive layer here where I actually see a world where CFI exchanges are accessing hero network liquidity and participating in the network. So imagine like CoinFlex, for example, has some type of secondary or tertiary market where historically liquidity maybe is thin if you were running it strictly on your own stack. But if you were able to capture the aggregation of many, many exchanges all participating in this kind of market that maybe isn't otherwise wouldn't be worth the time for you to maintain that now you have this kind of out this kind of liquidity pool that you could access and now spin this market up and be able to support it and kind of get the advantages of the uh, network incentives and things like that and it's really kind of one of the ways that we're thinking about this so i do kind of see this world that's very much b2b to c 
where either going to have users coming in kind of DMA or direct market access, like via straight Web3, but you also have exchanges and other types of operators on a B2B2C basis that may want to access more kind of communalized liquidity in order to capture and offer a market that you otherwise wouldn't support. So there are some kind of interesting layers there that I think the where kind of CFI and DeFi intersect um, could very well, you know, very well happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, the big unknown here is what the regulators do between ourselves, yourselves and, and both worlds. But uh... we, we've taken a pretty proactive stance there for sure. And um, I think, you know, for us, the important thing is um, making sure that, I mean, we are taking more of a permission approach to it in terms of, you know, transaction monitoring, KYC, AML, things like that. We just think those are kind of non-starters if we're ever going to, a lot of the firms that are involved or a lot of the participants that are involved in, the, in our markets early are you know, coming from professional backgrounds and kind of has become a requirement just to kind of get to the table. So, yeah, at least your future. Proving. Yeah, exactly. And really trying to th- think through that. And I, I think that's kind of the first step is making sure that we're doing things that can give peace of mind to regulators from a FATA kind of standpoint, and then working from there on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis around, you know, around regulatory and whatnot, and how that works, whether, you know, what, what requires, what jurisdictions require licensing for this kind of operational software layer of, you know, from a decentralized network, and then what has to exist at the operator level and kind of whose responsibility is what, and all those things are being worked out now. So. That's interesting. No, I, I remember, I, you know, I know we spoke just offline just before we started that, you know, you are now looking at the, the Bahamas as your sort of new regulatory authority. I mean, what else is happening at SXR with Hero, essentially? What's on the roadmap? Everything is very focused in on on network right now. Our, you know, we still do run the platform, going through a little bit of a rebranding there. And uh, the, the platform will end up eventually becoming an operator in the network along with other operators. That business is moving is what's moving one of the entities that's moving to nasa and then we will seek licensing from there yeah that's kind of kind of what's happening and on the product side is there anything else uh... no it's just uh, everything is just um nothing's really changing right now there in terms of the platform we will eventually add some other derivative products but they'll come from the network when the network is ready and kind of um, when it makes sense for that platform to become an operator in the network alongside with, uh, you know, with others. Thanks. Oh, that's awesome. And I look, you get some amazing numbers you guys are doing, you know, some, you know, sort of $387 billion of notional volume in Bitcoin and ETH, a massive increase year in year. I think late last year, you kind of, there was a, you raised a sort of 30 plus million dollars led by, uh, was it, was it by DV and SIG? Was it or? No, 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 no. DV was not involved in that. Yeah, it was uh, Jump, Susquehanna, CTC, Chicago Trading Company. Coinbase, Solana, Blockchain Capital was actually one of the lead lead kind of VCs from it, and um, a few others. But that was a a raise that Hero Foundation had done, and it was done very strategically to just bring the right participants in, you know, and get them involved early and kind of, which was great. They've all been able to provide some type of value and resource to the project, whether it's engineering, whether it's risk, whether it's compliance. And then, you know, a few of that, a few of their entities will end up becoming market makers, liquidity providers in the network as well. And then um, we'll continue to grow from there. That's fantastic. Gunny, it's been, I don't know, I think it's been three years since we, since I last spoke to you. So, so I know, man, way it, too long, way too way long. Too, this has been fantastic. Hope to see you in Dubai or Hong Kong soon. And 
Thank you so much for your time. It's been a very, very fascinating chat. Of course. Yeah, likewise. And I just want to say, you know, we, I mean, we all started kind of at the same time. And it's just, it's been so exciting to, to, you know, I kind of am always checking in on, on where CoinFlex is at. And it's just, it's great to see that we're all still here and, and making waves. So, so it makes me very happy. Uh, thanks for that. Very kind. Of course. All right. So thank you for coming on. See ya. Thanks so much, man. Okay. Bye.